So, do you invest your money? The idea that your money can work for you is something I never really understood until way too late in my life. I remember mum trying to tell me about it, but I didn't. I just couldn't get my head around it, that money in the bank could make money for you. That interest or dividends could mean that the money I saved could earn money on itself, you know, that it could work like I was working, you know, rather than just sit there in a bank and get eroded by bank fees. I honestly didn't understand that until way too late. Investing in anything, time, money, effort, it's always a balance, a tightrope of risk versus reward. Now, when it comes to money, if you're in Australia, there's every chance you have a superannuation fund, which depending on where you invest it is probably something that you set up to be aligned with a level of risk that you're willing to accept uh, with hopefully the reward being that once you stop working, that will be a, a fair whack of cash that you can use to, to live on when you can no longer be effective in a workplace. If you have a mortgage, you're accepting the risk of that mortgage uh, for the hopeful reward that the market will uh, pay you back on that property and the property value will hopefully have grown when you eventually sell or if you refinance it. But what about beyond that? What about your super? What about beyond your mortgage? I'm not a financial advisor. Nothing you're about to hear can absolutely come anywhere near to constitute financial advice. You should absolutely figure that out for yourself. That's not what this show's for today. But there's actually, there are other places where your money can not only work for you, but also extend your value system into the world through the companies that you choose to support and choose to invest in. When it comes to risk and reward, there are a few places which have quite a risk-reward ratio like uh, angel investing or startup investing, that is putting money into possibly even just an idea before there's even a product. If it doesn't work, your money, goodbye, never seeing it again. If it does work, oh boy, we've all heard the stories. It could be bananas. My guest today is known for his keen eye in spotting promising startups and his belief in supporting ambitious founders. Today, we are going to delve into the fascinating world of venture capital, entrepreneurship, and indeed the future of technology with Stu Glynn. Stu is the co-founder and managing partner of 1013, which is Australia's largest syndicated investment platform. Stu's involvement with 1013 has been nothing short of remarkable. The venture syndicate that it is has already raised and invested $30 million into 14 absolute breakout technology companies right around the world. Stu Glenn is well and truly making waves in the world of finance and tech. Today, he shares with us his journey from the earliest of his years growing up in Zimbabwe through to his transition into the world of angel investing and syndicate funding. There's a bit of financial talk here, but I encourage you to stick with it because it's conversations like this that I wish I heard when I was younger, when I first started earning money in my first jobs, to understand how I could be working towards something more than just the rent. It's a brilliant chat. I really hope you get a lot out of it. And speaking of money, I do have to play some commercials right now. Speaking of mortgages, because uh, we've got to pay the bills and I've got to pay the people that make this show with me. We'll be right back with Stu Glenn. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. So OpenAI, $30 billion business now, invested in by Microsoft. Um, they do ChatGPT, but they also have an API product and a bunch of others. They are going to be kind of like the Google or the you know Microsoft. Obviously, are, the, are major investors. They're going to they're going to own a good chunk of this market, right? They're going to be the underlying infrastructure layer. But at the same time, say Llama, which is a Facebook model, it's cost them half a billion dollars to train it, and then it got kind of leaked and can be downloaded on BitTorrent now, and you can effectively run that sort of model almost on your laptop with a half a million bucks of R and D in your pants. Half a um, half a billion. God, yeah. that is startup investor Stu Glenn. And this is Osher Ginsburg. Better than yesterday. G'day, welcome. This is Better Than Yesterday. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening to the show. We're here to make it better than yesterday. Been doing it every week since 2013. We're having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of the best of what they do, just making it better by having a chat and listening and learning to what these people have to have to share. There's a lot there. And um, I certainly love making this program and I love having the conversation on this program and I love hearing from you. My name's Osher Ginsberg. If you want to email me, it's pretty easy. Send Osher email at gmail.com. I'm a podcaster, TV host, author, dad, stepdad, sauna, sitterinera, tr- contact lens trial pack wearer. I've currently got one contact lens in. That's interesting. I'll tell you that for nothing. And um, I'm here Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Mondays, Wednesdays with a guest and Fridays I'm here with you. And I'm really grateful that you're a part of it. I'm grateful to be able to make this show today. So it'll help me not think too much about the Logies, which are less than a week away. If you're listening to this in a year or 10, you know how that turned out. But right now we are six days. This time next week, I will know and you will know uh, how that all turned out. I'm nominated for a gold Logie, which is this big, gigantic, fat, huge Australian television award, but is publicly voted. I have zero control over the outcome of it. But if this show does bring you value, if this show's brought you any value over the years, if this show's brought you any help and you would like to have other people experience a similar, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
either you know breakthrough or kind of revelation by by something an idea perhaps that you hear here that you otherwise would you know have, has has gone on to positively affect your day if you'd like other people to experience that please throw us a vote i'll put the link in the show notes and um yeah we'll see how we go <sighs> i'm nervous just talking about it to be honest <laughs> you can email me send osher email at gmail.com it's so nice to get your emails and i'm so grateful for the folks that did email me thanks very much to anita and lara and tracy who sent us a great email casey and brianna as well really grateful to hear from you and it's always lovely to see where you're watching where you're listening to the show it's always a kick Take a photo of whatever it is you're doing right now and send it to me. Send Osher email at gmail.com. Let's get to Stu. Stu Glenn's a really interesting guy. I recorded him in our house. Uh, some of the cameras didn't work, so I don't know if there's going to be a video version of this show. I'm, tr- I'm trying to fix that. But it's a really good chat. I really enjoyed speaking with him. It's certainly not a financial advice situation, but it is a very interesting conversation about how, you know, certainly with housing prices being where they are, between real estate and the stock market if you want to find a way to make the money that you've got work for you there's lots of options and um whether this is right for you or not that's up to you to decide but it's it's a really interesting conversation and um i'm really grateful that you made the time to come and check it out and uh, have a chat with us so uh enjoy i I sure did Uh, enjoy getting to know and having a listen to Stu glenn I'm so glad you came, mate. Thank you so much for coming. It was awesome. Awesome to get online, for sure. Yeah, man, because it's a really – what I'd love to talk to you about is, um, you know, a lot, people kind of they see stuff about AI and they see stuff about startups kind of roll past them in their day yeah. and not really understand, A, that, you know, that's another form of investing just like real estate, yeah. and B, the signals that where capital is going can be, you know, an early – kind of indicator yeah, yeah. of what kind of world we're growing up into. And that's me. I'm working, I'm on the outside of all this kind of stuff. So I can kind right. of, I vaguely can follow things around. So I'm grateful you're here, man. Um, and it's awesome. Yeah. You're in, you're in Sydney doing, doing a bit of work, I imagine. Yeah, that's right. Um, just caught up with a, a bunch of our portfolio companies. So, I mean, we invest in technology companies as a starting point. So yeah. we're almost like uh, one of the first checks in when there's, you know, a handful of people in the room building got an idea, start building something, yeah. get a bit of traction. And we we often come in at that point and sort of provide early stage capital to those companies to help sort of build it out over time. And as you said, like, you know, what are the, what are the themes sort of coming out? We get to spend obviously a fair amount of time, like we believe it's sort of forefront of like those trends and, and trying to invest, I guess, ahead of the yeah. curve, trying to basically um, sort of back companies that'll be sort of great companies into the future, but they start off with just sort of like, you know, a flame from the beginning. So yeah. Um, you've sort of got to have belief in the, in the people and their mission and what they're trying to build and then sort of get in behind them. I will get into that because um, I I lived in America for about 10 years oh. and I dabbled in the in the startup scene there. Yeah, yeah. It, it, to the point where I, you know, I went pitching on Sand Hill Road and I, I started <laughs> awesome. getting people committing to capital and I was getting ready to go. But then things in my personal life kind of fell to bits and they were all kind of went away and then i see the idea that i had get up other people i'm like well of course because it's you know uh what's the word like uh uh, uh, independent uh invention is the norm uh the same idea pops up on different sides of the world all the time the the solo hero inventor who creates the solution to save a situation is more of a hollywood fantasy 
you know, yeah. things like light bulbs and telephones and airplanes, all this kind of shit was invented by different people all the time. It's usually the person that just got the pattern first. Yeah. It's the one that uh, is the credit. So it was nice to see that. It was like, good. It was a, oh, I'm on the right path. Uh, but this, you weren't always in angel investing. You were, were you in more kind of traditional finance kind of scenario? Yeah, yeah. So my background, like, Grew up in grew up in Zimbabwe in Africa, which is a bit of, bit of a wild journey. See uh, what you did there? Hey, yeah, yeah. wild. <laughs> um, yeah, hundred percent. And then yeah, we what, um, like baboons in your backyard, kind of wild. Like, is it you tell people you can you ride a kangaroo to school? Like we like, do. We told a few people, and they actually believed us back in the early days. But uh, you know, to ride an elephant to school type stuff, but never actually. Um, but yeah, I mean, we we had a pretty privileged sort of lifestyle. Grew up in. Um, you know, my, my father was in the sort of hot, on the, I guess, safari and hotel industry. So mm. spent a lot of time in the bush, like very special sort wow. of place in my heart. Uh, I guess like from a, you know, I guess like a wildlife perspective, it was yeah. a beautiful place, but also had some, you know, obvious challenges in Zimbabwe, some political uh, side. Uh, but then, yeah, moved out to Australia early days and sort of you know, went into, I guess, finance. So I uh, worked for corporates like General Electric and um, KPMG. I guess cut my teeth on on that type. Uh, I guess how like do you more get, traditional. How, hang on, like like my first job was entering phones for my dad in his practice. Like how do you, yeah. how do you get a gig at General Electric? Like this is like speaking of patents. This is like what did General Electric do out here? Yeah, so GE, uh, I guess like one of the only listed companies from the first time the stock exchange was set up sort of like about 120 years ago so uh, they are a broad sort of industrial business but they also had a sort of finance arm so managed to get into sort of GE um, I guess capital which was like a corporate lending business so quite a quite an odd sort of early stage but I actually was struggling I mean came I came from Zimbabwe didn't have a visa couldn't couldn't apply to any grad programs so had to sort of leverage my network try and find a way in and managed to um, yeah I guess like hustle my way into like an early stage job and then wow. and then from there they kind of helped me yeah work worked hard and and they sort of put me onto like a leadership program and started doing rotations through different parts of the business so I worked in like healthcare yeah. mining they bought a big company up in Brisbane called Industria for sort of 800 million dollars and was <laughs> one of the deal team there and got a lot of exposure to kind of like i guess the world of of finance and running those, those big companies and the exposure yeah. to leadership but then sort of thought that wasn't the world that I love, like my father was an entrepreneur, I like to spend time with those sort of folks. So I was like, how do I get closer to that? Hearing you say like a deal is $800 million and I was on the deal team, like this kind of stuff is be- is beyond <laughs> nearly everybody listening, everybody yeah. watching is like, well, who the fuck? One of the things I learned when I was in the States, someone told me, is like, someone's going to do it. It may as well be you. Yeah. And like they're just people in that room. They're people who've 100%. got connections. They're people who've got a set of skills that, yeah, there's probably a, a university course or there's flight miles involved, but there's nothing godlike about these people. Totally. They're just in the room and understand where people are trying to get to on either side of the show, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. It's weird. You have like imposter syndrome, right? I guess like always. And so who who knows? But, you know, even in our life now, like no, we you were just saying you spent some time at Sand Hill Road. So we were there two weeks ago sort of meeting up with folks that are, very senior, talking about artificial intelligence coming out of Google, Meta, and like they're probably the top top one percent of technical people in the world, giving us this. And you sort of pinch yourself, and you're like, why are we here? Like, how are we even sort of in this room with these sort of people? Yeah. And then you're sort of talking to some of the world's best investors, and and yeah, like I guess like what I figured out, I guess like over time, is like you just got to have a crack. I mean, I didn't, you know, we've built a large investor network and have some awesome folks that sort of support us, but 
it kind of that all started with just like one outreach and one sort of connection and over time it sort of you know you it just sort of starts to snowball and happen i guess like so you can make it happen i guess you can will it into existence well, yeah. i can't i can't will myself a six-pack i've got to be careful what i eat <laughs> well, i've got, I, to, I've got to make sure. sure i do all my dead i've had a six-pack once for about 18 hours uh i've got to do all my deadlifts and i've got to eat really carefully you can't will something and yes i can have the will to do the reps that's correct but i can't just think real hard and then mm, boom that's right i'm skinny so there's got to be something that that you learned along the way um, when you make that call, when you make that cold call, that you know you started to find to be effective. Yeah, yeah. I think it's just having the confidence and the risk to do it. So I'll give you an example. So um, when I first started, I was excited about sort of technology. I was covering it. Uh, I used to work in sort of the, the deal, the deal space, and I basically got connected to um, to Steve Baxter. So this is like the, I guess, the initial story. And I guess I pitched at like a, a startup weekend. Which People is, may know him from uh, Shark Tank. He's on Shark Tank. He was, Steve one, of was, on one, Shark of the, was one of the sharks. Um, sort of multiple time tel- telco entrepreneur, but then started w- wanting to invest in early stage technology. And he sort of said like, I, he started making some investments, but didn't really have much of a deal background. He was more of sort of entrepreneur mm. operator side. And then he wanted to set up like, yeah, hey, I want to start investing in more of these and supporting these companies, but didn't. And on my side, I sort of had more of a deal background, a finance background, but hadn't really spent much, 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 as much time in technology. But anyway, I got connected just on like a startup weekend, which is like effectively you just go and try and spin up a, a business from nothing and got judged and got ripped to pieces by Steve at the end of, the, at the end of it from that, the one idea that we sort of pitched as a little group. Uh, but then we sort of built a relationship and he, he went out to hire for, you know, the only role in Brisbane that was in technology sort of investing. And, and I think I remember the conversation was like, he was like, look, you know, I, I thought the opportunity would be would be awesome. It was like the beginning of, of a wave of some awesome stuff happening in Australia. Uh, but I had to go to my wife and say, look, you know, Steve's offered me this role to come and head up investing and let's go and kick it off. And we um, I just sort of say we're going to cut my salary down in half at least. And, you know, we should take this risk. And when why should we do that? And is it going to be beneficial for us? And kind of the rest is history because we've, you know, we, we I did it, decided to do it. I thought it would be the right thing to kick it into gear and and have a crack but then you know since then we've we've invested in some amazing yeah. like australia's like successful tech businesses a bunch of them have been really exciting yeah you've done a, you've done some huge stuff i, <laughs> I want it but tell me not everyone's going to get a call going hey we want you to be you know potentially this could be yeah. the biggest thing ever we, you know one day it will be warren buffett but everyone's going to have at some point talk to their partner about hey yeah how would you feel about less money and no friends <laughs> and more we're risk. moving across the country yeah, and yeah. less me. <laughs> How did that conversation go? Yeah, I mean, she was she was pretty understanding. I mean, I, I think like at the same time, I was working quite hard in sort of like mid-tier investment banking sort of yeah. stuff, but I was also um, trying to start my own e-commerce business. So I was trying to spin up like a sunglasses. It was, the, it was, the, it was when influencers were kind of becoming quite a big thing and yeah. we're sort of direct to consumer. So I'd spun up a brand and we're sourcing stuff from China and trying to do that anyway on the side. So I was trying to build yeah. a business, which was taking up a lot of our time. And I was like, and Steve was like, look, how about you give up the hula hoops and yo-yos and come and come work with us? Hula hoops uh, and yo-yo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did work for him. Like that's the kind of shit he would say. Yeah, yeah it's it. too good. Um, but it was, I mean, it was arguably true. And, but then I guess like, the take for me was like, you know, are we? Am I going to be in a in a corporate sort of career for a long time, or should we should we take some risk and actually yeah. and see if it sort of plays out? Um, and I sort of, and I think coming back from like, I guess a, a place like Zimbabwe where 
kind of have no safety net. Like everyone there is an entrepreneur by nature because mm. they have to be. There's no kind of like, there's hardly any corporate jobs. There's no sort of like government infrastructure that sort of will support, you know, I guess a bunch of uh, careers. So you end up with this, like everyone just hustles and makes and makes their way. And I felt right. like that, I don't know if it was in my blood, but I was just like, look, I'm keen to do something like that. Yeah. Uh, and get closer to working with people that are doing that at the, you know, at the coalface, not necessarily the big machines that they become over time. Um, so yeah, I mean, we had the, we had the conversation a, a few times and, and she was like, look, I'm supportive. You know, we, wow. at that time we didn't have, we didn't have kids, didn't have a mortgage. It was kind of like, you know, we're going to do it. Yeah. It's yeah, like, you're going to do it. You should do it before the, before you sort of take on that, but not burden, but if you before, well, before that happens, then your, your, your risk tolerance starts to get much lower. Right. <laughs> yeah, and sure so it's like, does. should you go and do that? Um, or, yeah. you know, you're more constrained. And so, uh, we sort of, you know, bit the bullet. And then, and yeah, it's been, it's been, I haven't looked back since, to be honest. So the kind of, the kind of investing we're talking about, it's not like, oh, I'm going to put $500 into BHP share yep. uh, and I'm choosing that share because I get dividends and I'm going to use those dividends to maybe reinvest <laughs> and get some more shares yep. or I'm going to live off the dividends yep. if I'm on some sort of fixed income scenario. Yep. It's, and if we, oh, it went up 1.2% top day. Yeah. It's not that kind of investing, is it? Definitely not that type of <laughs> I think I think out of Steve's family office, we were counting the other day where I think close to 80 companies that have invested in. Um, and the I think like I can remember maybe two paying dividends in the history of it. So like these businesses are not, you're not, the, I guess, like the investment model and like coming from a more traditional finance model, like, you know, came from that. It's like highly profitable businesses, et cetera, and trying to understand um it's just a, it's a different world. Like we're basically yeah. living in a, in a in a far different world, and then the model is different, especially in venture capital, where companies are uh, effectively raising money to go and build to sort of win market share. So sort of, first of all, build their businesses into existence, mm. find product market fit, you know, try and find their first customers, and then start scaling a business model that's you know over time that's scalable and defensible and um, and to take market share and all of this type of stuff. But there's a whole bunch of risk associated with that, and so. You know, if you only invest in one, there's very high risk that like you won't even see your money coming back at all. Yeah. Uh, these are like illiquid, you know, sort of investing in a company and expecting, you know, it's been a 10 year sort of cycle before yeah. you're kind of likely to see exit. Right. It is a long journey, uh, but we've, we've had great sort of results over the years mm. that have come in, but you know, you can't sort of pick it day one of like what, what's going to, where the results no. going to be for this business. And no, so- you don't you don't sign Mariah Carey every day. Yeah, exactly. But when you do, it's fine because Everything, all the records Mariah Carey sold kept other parts of the record company afloat. That's exactly you the know, model. It's uh, very similar model. It right? really it's is, like though, isn't it? Yeah. We're a hits business. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, venture capital is very much like it's called the power law. Effectively, like you might make 20 investments and one of them will return like, you know, three times all of your invested capital. Uh, and, you know, there'll be others that return somewhat and they might be maybe 50%. They even talk about loss rate in venture as like early stage venture capital. Loss rate is like how many how many of your investments will return less than the dollar, and or or nothing, and um, and like you know arguably a lot of seed funds like at our stage will aim for fifty percent. I guess like we we think of it as like high potential companies. It's yeah. like if they win and succeed, they're going to be relatively disruptive, but also have like huge opportunity ahead of them. Can make markets, but it's um, it's, it's not like the like I said, it's not like a two percent or five percent. You know, stuff no. like that. We're talking ten, twenty x on your initial investment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we've had multiple companies that have returned, yeah, like over 20X Far out. Um, on a deal, but Ooh. we've also had ones that have returned oh, nothing, right? I'm sure. So there's you like, know, you know, it's it's kind of like, yeah. it, it washes, you, 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 yeah, it washes out, but the model is very much like, you have to understand the risk and you have to build a portfolio, otherwise yeah. you can't. Like, 
But it's a difficult yeah. it's a difficult kind of investing to get into because, yeah. like, I don't know that you know the the two ladies that have just had lunch at the UTS canteen and come up with this unbelievable business idea that's going to completely destroy all online retail. Yeah, but they'll probably go to their parents or probably, you know, their mate's parents or, yeah. and that's how they'll get five grand to buy the first thing. And like those people who put that first, you know, early yeah. money in, yeah. when they, you mentioned exit before, when they exit or when they um, go public essentially have the IPO or whatever, um, that's the colossal thing. But what I believe what is it you guys do at 1013 is you, like you connect, you know, people who have an idea that there's a 50, it's a 50, 50, it's a coin flip. You're never going to see your money again. Yeah. Um, and when you do, it's going to be a while away. But if you do see your money again and it is a while away, it'll be worth it. We, we promise you on that one. Um, <laughs> like uh, that you connect the people like that with these kind of young founders who have got this, you know, have got products that you guys believe in. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess the easiest way to think about it is like we've talked about 1013 as effectively trying to democratize access to this, to, to a class of investment that's quite hard to get access to. Yeah. And the reason why we started on that track was, we started trying to do it ourselves and trying to find access to great companies and yeah. we call you know, everyone in our industry calls a deal flow. So it's like, how do you how do you get more deals coming through the door that you can look at and then and then yeah. and then back yourself to pick you know to be a good I guess like investor. But if you don't see enough deals you know, or you only get the last ones off the you know like that are the highest risk or you you don't you don't have the opportunity to sort of get the right sort of level of returns to take all that risk. And so you want to you want to get access to a lot more. Um, deal. So we started building like, hey, how do you do? How do you go and find that? Started building networks and working with other investors and, you know, hosting events for founders and like trying to basically build, become part of the, be part of the community so that you're seen as, you're seen as a trusted source to go to for like for this type of funding. Um, but that takes time and effort and resource and like you have to invest in it. Even if Steve was investing personally, it wasn't, it was almost not even enough. You might be putting in 250K or 500,000, but a seed round is $2 million. And so we would go talking to other investors and be like, who wants to, you know, cl club together on a deal here? We really love this business for all these reasons. Um, and we would we'd bring it together. And so we thought like, why, why isn't there a way for this to be done mm. more formally? And so we, we kicked off 1013 about three and a half years ago. And now we have one of Australia's largest groups of investors that co-invest with us on deals. So we have 500 plus investors around Australia and New Zealand that are awesome, like, operators um and we, we think of that network as like hugely valuable because they help us find new deals they've got people that have got such a variety of backgrounds of whether they're their own sort of traditional industrial businesses whether they're tech founders themselves whether they're doctors like people that have you know a variety of experience then you can pick up the phone and be like hey what do you think of this business and sort of super helpful is there also something that after the deal is done like say mm. i don't know you're a year and a half you're two years in yeah and you're getting close to launch and some of your people go, oh, you know what we really, what we really need is we really need someone to manufacture a widget like this. You yeah. Know, you know what? We actually know someone uh, who might help us <laughs> with that. <laughs> and oftentimes they're on, they're an investor, right? All so right. it's like, I mean, I did it today. I made like three introductions to people where there's someone who's very solid at sort of launching. It's like, I guess they go to market model and the sales model and mm -hmm. done it for three other very successful software businesses. And he just sort of said, hey, I'm really interested in sort of helping out on a few like early stage companies like if you want you know yeah. if you have any and i'm like i've got a lot of companies that we work with so i'd like to like introduce you and, and plug you in and then and so that network value like sort of compounds on itself in my opinion so like that's why we did this model which is like we sort of provide access for investors to club together on deals mm -hmm. but then also we've got latent like a, an amazing network of people that you can mm -hmm. you can plug into or you can you know sort of leverage it's harder to scale this sort of model but it's also 
truly valuable. Like if you if they open the door to your next customer or they help you solve problems, like that's real value for that company because mm. they get to the next hurdle and they keep going. If you know what I mean. Yeah. Um. So that's why we sort of yeah you know, built it like that. But it's uh. But then it also enables more people to get access to. Mm deals that we've done due diligence on, you know, we're co-investing often with other venture capital investors, you know, we, we co-invest with some some great names um, that have also done all the work and, we, you know, we're part of that, but you don't have to sort of commit, you can kind of just choose the deals that you want to you join in on. And this is the, the thing that I find interesting is that once you reach a certain, I guess, you know, velocity, there's an inertia about who you are and the network you represent when you know, ideas will just start coming in through the door f- so fast. Yeah. And you don't want to be the, you know, you don't want to be Decca Records passing on the Beatles. You know, you want to be the one that, <laughs> you know, you want to be, yeah. uh, y- you want to be sure that you say yes yeah. to the right stuff, but that means you'll have to say no to the right stuff. So at what point did you start to, you know, create a, a bit of a, a bit of a series of gates that people had to pass through before? Yeah, you know? yeah. And what does that look like? Yeah, we have like a whole process, I guess. Like so, this month we would have seen 180 companies Gosh. like that are looking for funding. God damn! And we would have we've closed. We just we just signed a deal today, which so we'll have closed two of those two two companies would have gone through that gone through the process and be invested in. And we end up doing about about 15 to 20 new companies a, a year. Um, and we will look at yeah. Two thousand, two thousand, two and a half thousand. And how do you do that? You're like you're not Warren Buffett, who can see clear P and L for years in the front. <laughs> no, you're talking well, there's, there's about no sometimes, P&Ls. yeah. Sometimes you're sitting down with people who are like it doesn't exist yet. Yeah, we've got code that runs on a machine over there in the corner, and that's it. That's right. <laughs> like we're literally we're talking about a company right now that's doing what's. So we spent a lot of time like diving into AI uh, of the over the last year, and you know it's an, we believe it's like a, one of the next waves, the next platforms and technology. It's going to impact a lot of industries. Uh, and then what are the inputs in there? And one of them is say proprietary data. Um, and so like how do you have the right level? Of, like you have clean information that you can put into this model, so it's not garbage in, garbage out. So this model can then start giving you good answers. Because if you if you don't have the right sort of feeder, then you're not going to get the right results. And so we're looking at a company that's got some yeah synthetic data, but literally they have no customers right yet. They're like they spun out the technology from a from a university, super smart, like you know probably bleeding edge in terms of like their. I guess knowledge and what they've been working on from a technical perspective, but like now we've got to say like, can they actually build this? Can they? Well, we believe they can build it. Can they take it to market? Can they get customers? So you start trying to validate on that. But um, like I think in the in the early days, it's like very heavily focused on people. Like if you can't judge, you you have to have like a high level of trust and conviction that these people are like the right people for this business. That's mm. also called founder market fit, and are going to are going to be willing to go on the journey of like it's a tough road being an entrepreneur. Uh, not not everyone can can do it. Like yeah. it's a, it's very challenging. Like you put a lot of things, you put a lot of you know you're, they they often sort of very mission driven and very dedicated. Mm. Um, and so like you have to sort of understand like are they the right people to back? And so I'm imagining like at that point, it, like if there's a, even just a prototype of a product, mm. but they know, you know, everyone's kind of understanding. Well, this is going to be this is going to be something. Yeah, we, we, we should go get some, see how big we can make this and scale this. You can't evaluate the product because it doesn't go to market. You're investing in the people, really, totally. at that point, aren't you? What kind of things do you look for in these men and women that that you meet? I think, like at a baseline, there's certain relatively basic stuff, like do they have the skill set to do it? Like, so if it's a technical product, but then they don't have any sort of tech skills, like that's a challenge for us to invest. Like, it's almost like a blanket no, because if they just sort of we're putting money into their business and they're paying like some, you know, a dev house on the side, that's like not, it's a, not a good sign because it's like you, we know that this business 
any product technology business is going to evolve. You know, some of our favorite companies that have gone on to you know be super you know amazing businesses have rebuilt their tech from scratch like three or four times. So like you just know forever that like they're going to be investing in this in this and they need to have the capacity in house. So that's like a basic like you know, it's just one of those questions that you learn to ask and due diligence, but that's kind of different to like qualities, right? And then the other one is like, what do you look for? So some investors have different views. Some people like say we won't invest in a couple because it's very difficult, whereas some of our great best companies who invested in have been couples and they like, they are kind of happy to go on the journey together and they, uh, it does mean that they, yeah, sometimes are, you know, uh, breaking bread at dinner and and sort of talking about their days, and they and they and they struggle to leave work and and sort of mm. at home. But at the end, but they also, you know, you just have to f- understand whether that whether you're happy to take that risk as an investor and on the sort of people. I, I think it comes down to sort of passion and capability. Like yeah. often, it's like are they are they the right people? You can you can often sort of tell if and if, and and are people in it for the right reasons? Like, yeah. Are they are they excited to solve a problem? Like, what's their background? Have they come from a very safe background, or have they come from a level of adversity, and that's made them sort of like very passionate about trying to solve this problem? And why? Because mm-hmm. the why is often what keeps you going when it's like you're working sort of through weekends and at night. And because oftentimes companies blow up or have issues to do with the team and the founders. Yeah. Like, I would say, I would say that happens up to 50% of the time you'll have issues over the course of their life where like a, a founder will leave or a founder will have other issues and decide mm-hmm. that it's- I guess what you're talking about is like, if, if what's driving you is, uh, you know, I'm doing this because it's my quickest path to owning a Lamborghini, yeah. that might not get you through the kind of work and decision-making that you'll need. It's like, I'm doing this because, you know, making sure that you know, people who, I don't know, deal with an inner problem that means they can't hold a spoon straight, can feed themselves. That's right. No matter what, that's going to happen. It might get a Lamborghini at the end of it because yeah. it scales and you, know, you settle over the world, but it's not good. that's, that's going to keep you walking through the night. Exactly. So I think that like, you know, instant red flag when someone's just like talking about the, the, you know, the pot of money at the end and, yeah. and, uh, and it's more about like, what happens if you win? Like, what have you created that's actually of value that's going to, you know, help this world or help, you know, help, help solve this problem? Yeah. And the byproduct of that is a big, this is a big pot of money. Yeah. Potentially, you know, not always, but like, this is the scenario, right? So if someone sort of says like, we're going to exit this business, you know, in three years time to here, like we're sort of saying, well, you know, why are you even thinking about that? Like you should be thinking about building a great valuable business and like, Yes, we will make decisions as a business or like, you know, as a leadership or over time, if it's the right thing to do to sell the business or IPO it or whatever it is, like that decision can be made um, if you built a great business of value. But like, It's really, you know what? And we say this in reality. It, I don't say it in reality television, yeah. but I hear it at work all the time. Are they there for the right reasons? Yeah, yeah that's exactly <laughs> the know? same, right? 100%. Cause, but in this case, you know, the money is the uh, an analog to a, a sexual encounter. Yeah. You know, nah, he just here, yeah, he's just here to sh- shag me. It's like versus uh, he's here to fall in love. It's like, yeah. well, you, you know, we all know what that guy or that girl at the pub. <laughs> On the bachelor, like, yeah. Yeah, yep. oh, no, 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 we just leave when you're out. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you're out and about, it's like, eh. There's a TV show at the moment called F-Boy Island. I'm loving it. Um, <laughs> and it's basically, it's like, nah, nah, that guy, yeah, it looks great. Great product, but <laughs> intention <laughs> not for the right, not for the right reasons. Not a long term investment, which yeah. is is kind of kind of interesting. Yeah, I guess the other thing I wanted to ask you is that what's your vibe on meeting with founders who say to you, "Okay, yeah, I'm here. This is my friend, and we've got this thing," mm. and uh, and you ask me what I do before. It's like, oh. I raised $10 million and we made this thing and everything burned to the ground. 
Yeah. And that was two years ago. Yeah. And this is the next thing. Like, what are you reluctant to work with someone who's failed like that? Or are you happy to invest with someone who's failed like that? I think like you would you would work hard to understand like the context of what happened there. Mm-hmm. So we I think as in in Australia don't celebrate failure the same way someone like say in Silicon Valley is and it's not about celebrating failure for the sake of just like you know they spectacularly failed and wasn't you know wasn't a great result like no one no one sort of pats people on the back for that but if they if they failed you know in search of trying to find or trying to build something great and it didn't quite work out for and but they still did their best to sort of make it happen and did the right thing when sort of winding down and trying to look after their team and stuff when trying to find their new jobs and stuff like that if they did this stuff like that mm. in the right sort of ethical manner then i think that it is generally viewed positively by our industry because like what you do is you learn a hell of a lot like in you know in the good and the bad more mm. in the bad you know, and there's a lot of challenging sort of situations that you, you go through. And so it's like, well, then, you know, for next time, like that scar tissue, you don't want to go, you don't want to trade that ground again. So, you yeah. know, for sure. Yeah. And this is like, it's a really interesting concept because like second time founders come with what's called like a, so the, the people that build a second business, so whether it's successful or not, um, have, uh, I guess called it's like a founder, a, a second time founder premium. It's like you pay more because they supposedly know that sort of way. But the interesting thing that we found, or I found over time is that, Often people, naivety is like an interesting thing. It's it's actually quite good. I'll give an example. Steve Baxter, right? He's built, you know, spent two businesses building in the telecommunication space, but now he won't really invest in that space anymore. It's like, I've done my time in that space. I know all the, I know how hard it is. I know the good stuff. I know the bad stuff. I don't, and you'll probably be very potent if I went and set up a third business now, but I just don't want to go back in there. Like I know all about it and mm. I know where the challenges are. And so often people won't go back into the same category that they've been in, even if right. they're founding again. Like they want something fresh and new and start again, like, you know, with yeah. a new sort of pathway. But you still learned a hell of a lot. Yeah. I guess the naivety side is an interesting concept where people, oftentimes like young founders, they call it 25-year-old, that just wants to set out to go and change the world. But sometimes those are good people and they have had sort of great outcomes because they don't know how hard it is and they get out there and they're like, oh my God, this is, this is tough. But it's, you know, oftentimes, but they don't know what they don't know. And then they try and, they try and solve it in different ways. Yeah. Versus some folks, you know, who might be more seasoned in the industry, but then also might also then you kind of get t- sometimes get tunnel vision on it. Well, this is the way it's solved, and then you yeah. kind of stay in your lane. You mentioned earlier that um, uh, you know the, the the space that we're kind of you know getting into now, and it's there's all of history before the atom was split, and then everything else. Yes, until the end of time. Like we can never, ever unsplit the atom and the ability to release that amount of energy uh, for good or bad is now in our world and we just have to deal with it. That's right. right. I would dare say we are now living in the time after large language models have been unleashed. Like you'd sooner be able to de-electrify a city than you would to, Mm. wait, 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 stop this. A couple of weeks back there were people going, wait, wait, let's hold everything, hold everything. It's like, mate, like who's going to hold what? Yeah. It's amazing yeah, yeah, and terrifying at the same time to the point where even the people that started OpenAI Open today um, joined the, I think, the team from Google and they released this whole thing going, you need to look at this as you look at nuclear non-proliferation. It is that dangerous if it's not done right. Yeah. Is, is that hyperbole or do you reckon that's kind of what we might be looking at? I think there's no doubt about it. AI is going to be part of the world going forward. Yeah. Uh, I feel like the genie is out of the bottle. Uh, the the aha moment per se for people trying to understand at a, at a human level is ChatGPT and what it can do. And so, yeah. you know, sit down with my wife and say, look, let's plan our like weekly food shop recipes, stuff mm-hmm. like that, like super basic stuff. But it gave you the thing like, 
this this thing actually has power like if you know yeah. what I mean? yeah i mean it is it, there's there's a portion of it that's scary on the ethical side right and we we spend a bunch of time like i guess like talking to some of some of the experts in, in ai over the last couple of weeks just trying to get to get to a clear like clear understanding of it um and I, and I think that right now in its current form, it doesn't feel like it sort of thinks for itself in the same way that people believe it is. It's just trained on billions of parameters so that it feels like it's way smarter than you, but it's just lots of multi-different decisions being made within the course of a model. And it's, re- it's reflecting the data that's been learning on. Yes. Which is- Historical y- data. Of, of hu- human input. And then, but once you start feeding in more information, when you, when you start closing the loop and you sort of continue to feed it, that's why I said, you know, don't, do you, should we give it access to the internet? Maybe we shouldn't because then it starts being able to sort of learn on itself. And Too late, bro. It's already done, right? <laughs> and then the other thing is that like, say, OpenAI and Anthropic are the other big players that, have, that are building sort of the, the closed ecosystem models. So they train their models, the, you know, the so OpenAI, $30 billion business now invested in by Microsoft. Um, they do ChatGPT, but they also have an API product and a bunch of others. They are going to be kind of like the Google or the you know Microsoft. Obviously, are, the, are major investors. They're going to they're going to own a good chunk of this market, right? They're going to be the underlying infrastructure layer. But at the same time, say Llama, which is a Facebook model, it cost them half a billion dollars to train it, and then it got kind of leaked and kind of be downloaded on BitTorrent now, and you can effectively run that sort of model almost on your laptop with a half a million bucks of R and D in your pants. Half a oh my. half a billion. God yeah. damn. Um, I mean, there's a little skepticism, a little bit of skepticism around, say, um, say what OpenAI is talking about of like, you know, let's regulate this because is it, they call it regulatory, regulatory capture, which is like, we can say, you know, we should regulate this and then, and therefore we will be deemed to be one of the ones that can be, you know, within the, within the, the, the regular regulatory framework. Yeah. But then that means that we get forced, like people are forced to use us versus, and not allow others sort of, you know, that are in the open source world to do it. Um, so there's a little bit of like posturing whether, whether it's like the reason why they're calling for regulation is because they know it's too late and they're like, and, but then they get forced um, by the sort of, the government will, will, uh, or generally the regulators will say, well, okay, great, like open AI and Anthropic and you, and you folks, we can help control you. And we can put the the guardrails on this AI on these large language language models. Yeah. So yeah, it's an interesting concept of like how it's sort of going to play out. But I do think from an ethical perspective, today, from like the discussions that I've had, it doesn't feel like it's out of hand in the in the current scenario. But there is there is a point in time where they call it like singularity or like you know the the ramp is so fast that it starts becoming a lot more powerful yeah. and you can't control it because you don't have the guidance. So yeah, I do believe it's going to be. Like, and this is sort of general consensus across like the venture community. You go to Silicon Valley, you go talk to a bunch of investors. Like crypto, there might have been say twenty percent of folks being like, "We, we think this is going to be a, you know, it's going to be a major, a major space, and like you know, one of the next things going to you know going to replace the financial system, etc. And the US US dollar is going to move to Bitcoin, whatever." When you talk to a lot of like the half the high profile investors, they are ubiquitously saying like AI is the next wave. It's been mobile. It's been cloud. Like there's been all these sort of shifts over time and it's about the next wave and this is going to impact across every industry. But the difference being is that a consumer products, you can, you know, pick it up quite quickly and use them and get value quite quickly. So it's already happening, right? Adobe just released one where, you, I don't know if you've seen it, you've got like, you know, a picture and you can just literally extend, extend, extend the border by, you know, double the size of the picture and just say, you know, just, just formulate what this should look like and then bang, you've already got it. So like mm. all these products are just rolling out, right, on a daily basis. It's almost very hard to keep up. Um, but I think that the one that's going to be interesting and we think there'll be a fair amount of value is in the business side. So like how do you, how do you enable your workforce to be 
not superhuman, but like get more productivity out of out of your team and effort. And this is going to be across like there's going to be new roles created, but there's also going to be across like how do you amplify people from a coding perspective? So there's going to be a whole bunch more code written. Therefore, there's going to be a whole much more productivity from a software perspective. Uh, like in my, like in my own, lawyers. In my, in my yeah, oh man, in my own kind of uh, people that I'm, I'm I'm close with. There's somebody that I know who I think they had um, six coders in their office yeah. that I have two. Yeah, and he was able to go like, okay, they fed his code into a particular thing, mm. and. It, it just like debugged it in like seconds, yeah. And then asked another thing for how do we make this one more efficient? And mm. went, and yeah. they're, they're there. And so they've gone from six salaries to two salaries. So four right. people don't have a job anymore, and they've increased their productivity. Mm. Like no business is going to say no to that. What That's do right. we do with those four people? Um, it's, mm. it's it's it could, it brings yeah. we're being rapidly pushed into this place. Where we're going to have to start making some pretty very very mm. quick decisions about how we feel about stuff. Uh, you know, you mentioned. Um, you know, are we there at a point where of you know singularity or sentience? And and you know, remember you know watching Ray Kurzweil's work a while back, yeah, yeah. maybe fifteen years ago. He was like all about that. I met him, yeah. wild guy. <laughs> but for me, like using this microphone um, and my side of this conversation. Uh, on a podcast I did a couple of weeks back, I-, I fed it into an app on my laptop right there and I was able to make a voice that only people who actually knew me knew it wasn't me. Yeah. You know, and like that's just a punter at home, you yeah, know, yeah. with some training data. You know, the terrifying thing for me is uh, you're seeing, for example, um, overnight- Like deep some, fakes or like, mate, you know, it's basically like, just like a video of you speaking and like, so you're not, like just not me, saying man. what you're doing. Like, like anyone, like, yeah. Like, like we see these, you know, they're like drone attacks on on Moscow saying, mm. oh, it must be Ukraine. Like, dude's like having any anywhere near forget about it. It's, it's, mm. We know it's not you. Mm. But convincing a population that this stuff is happening, like uh, the one that Sam Harris talks about is- um, it, w- it is possible right now to create Joe Biden on screen, you know, verbally saying, and that's why we've launched this a nuclear strike, the missiles in the air, in 22 minutes, there'd be a whole new world. And then, you know, Moscow has, you've got 19 minutes, Vlad. Yeah. How do we verify it? Okay, now you've got 18 minutes. How do yeah. we verify this nuclear strike is or isn't happening? Um, and- like that does that's not even like gray matter that's not even bots turning themselves into totally. you know terminator 2 like it's fucking scary as shit <laughs> totally <laughs> yeah i i mean it's probably not a laughing matter honestly like you know i think that's that's one of the challenges is like i mean we're looking at a company coming out of israel that helps to understand whether messages via social like platforms are you know like are real like effectively unreal people and so, like, are they bots? Are they fake? Are they, you know, are they are they fake videos of, wow. of people? How do you decipher whether something is real or not real? Um, because that can that can spread in propaganda, like mm. you know, miscommunication. Like, there are ways that you can sort of cyber warfare effectively. Like, oh, yeah. you, know, you can you can blur messages. You can you can influence people with like on social media, you know, social media platforms, etc. Right now, they're so powerful, mate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we've seen that exactly. There was this. I remember there was this when I was living in the states. There was a, a Senate Estimates Committee. Uh, Senate. I was right after I moved back. It was a Senate Estimates Committee and and, and a Senate Al Franken, which is wild because Al Franken used to be on Saturday Night Live. Yeah. <laughs> um, Al Franken asked Zuckerberg. He says, "Okay, um, did they invoice you in rubles?" <laughs> and he's like, "I don't think I want it." It's like it's a simple question, Mr. Zuckerberg. Did they invoice you in rubles? Yes. <laughs> Like, come on, man. It's oh, like, no. but that's the stuff that's transparent. This is just like, because 
you know, there's probably people listening who've been affected by data breaches here mm. in, in Australia. And totally. it's hard to think, well, who could be bothered? Mm. Who could be bothered to to attack a country like that? It, mm. It's hard to not think it's some sort of bad actor, some sort of state actor. Are there ways that, you know, this kind of tech can protect a country rather than be used offensively? Are there ways that this kind of thing can be used around our health data or around our banking data? I mean, the, the short response is, of course, yes. Um, but the way it sort of plays out is that there's there's always there are you have to just try and protect against bad actors yeah and you always like you know we've we've invested in a company that helps trying to stop bots from cracking your passwords and breaking into your things right. and they and the way that it sort of works is like over time they 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 understand the way people sort of try and break in and then they then they put up a wall and they figure that out and so what they try and do is make it too expensive for them to try and break through the wall that they just stop trying so, right. so by having more security, better ways of proving that you're not a bot, then the bot will so over time just be like, if it tries too long, it's not worth it. It's not worth its time. So go find somewhere where there's weaker. Um, and so what they do, so they, but that's a constant fight. It's a it's cat and mouse game, and they basically yeah. so you, you never you never solve it. Is probably the summary. It's yeah. like you just find ways to get more and more efficient and better and better, and you keep you just have to keep sort of trying on this on this battle. And that's why, like, yeah, you know, I guess like you know, yeah, we've we've got a handful of cybersecurity investments. But it's not, you know, it's not only for like bad actors in general, but it, yeah, in short, it's just like, you know, this is this is part of the world that we live mm, in. And yeah. um, you know, oftentimes those those sort of leaks or data leaks and stuff like that are like are are a person that kind of, you know, opens the opens the door and, <laughs> and less of le- le- or or and you know, like sometimes like in a bad fashion, sometimes just like from an error, like yeah. you know what I mean, and or as we saw in the states the other week, because they wanted to show off to a bunch of people on a Discord page. Yeah, that's what I mean, right? It's just like it's often <laughs> just, like it's off. You know, you can't. Yeah. Um, you can't solve for everything, and so you know it's it's hard on on those kind of scenarios where it's just like how do you plan yeah. how do you plan as an organization to protect that sort of thing when you know it could just happen. They always say follow the money. You know if you want to see yeah. what's going on, follow the money. Yeah, yeah, so totally. where's 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 the money looking? Like when it comes to AI, what are some spaces that you expect to see kind yeah. of really radically changing in the next like couple of years? Yeah, there's, there's the infra- like the, there's the layer that's kind of like the model layer. Uh, we think that race is like arguably going to be run and already run by some of the majors, like um, I guess OpenAI and Tropic, and there's a handful of other models. And then there's the open source community, and those two, those those combined, I'm not sure where like the value will either be captured by those those like some of the players, but there will also be a great open source community. And, and the model being like this is how the large language model learns. Yeah, so the, so I think of it like it's almost like a hardware product. Like, each model is trained, and that and it takes a, a a shitload of compute. So basically, like big racks of servers from Nvidia. Uh, Nvidia will probably do pretty well as it went. Mate, up they hit a trillion dollars yeah, yesterday. Exactly, they were so, trillion for a couple of hours. So yeah. we heard Nvidia about twenty times on our trip, like recently, and it was basically just like you know they've got the best chips. And they're five years ahead of everyone else. Is kind of like, sorry so. for everyone who was mining crypto. It's all yeah, over. yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, but now you're mining. Now you're sort of training models, right? Yeah. So, so those models, um, yeah, they, they they take a huge amount of money to compute and then even run like post facts. So like you know, um, so so those ones are going to be challenging to see. Like the big players are already sort of winning that race. And I think that like the middle layer is like what we call like the picks and shovels, like infrastructure. So mm. it's almost like. That synthetic data business we're telling you about, or like like a developer tools to to help with like machine learning models, or mm-hmm. like a bunch of different. It's just like the the layer that does, you, it, you won't see it, but there will be a lot of players that'll be sitting in the middle there that sort of help enable this 
AI industry to start to open up and thrive. And then there's the what's called the application layer, which is the top layer, which is effectively like ChatGPT is one. So it's like the direct, it's the one that gets used by the end consumer, whether it's in a work like fashion or in a, a consumer perspective. So, mm. you know, I just want to generate a video like, or I want to generate a poem for XYZ or I want to, and those ones are already starting to see like really fast growth on companies, but whether it's enduring is the, is the main question. Or yeah. And, and then the other one is like, are the incumbents, are they going to do well? So like when I say the incumbents, like that example I said about Adobe was like, yeah, there were other players that were spinning up trying to do the solution. And everyone's like, oh, Adobe's going to get wiped out here. And then bang. Like I don't know, man. I saw that like, video you're talking about. I'm like, buddy. like Pretty cool. <laughs> um, and so they have, you know, those incumbents have the biggest data sets. You know, Google, for instance, like, yeah. you know, everyone's like open AI is like, you know, it's going with Microsoft and, and Google's stuff. But on Google's got the most searches. They have the index, the most data. They've indexed the whole, every like website in the, in the world made them searchable. They have more information than anyone else. Mm. They can train a model on that. Yeah. And they have like Bard is there, but they're going after business solutions. So it's like might not be as flashy. So like in our scenario, what we're thinking is that like, most businesses are going to be, industry is going to be sort of impacted by AI and you start to utilize it. So a good example is like the legal profession, right? Drafting contracts. It's like, how many lawyers do you need to to go through that? If you could just like, if you could train train your own models on your whole database of all of your, of all of your templates, so you know every single clause and then you can basically build. And we've already seen products. We saw a company raise, um, just started on revenue, raised like $12 million the other day and they are yeah helping you it sort of plugs into word and then effectively but it pulls from your own specific like legal database and then so a lawyer gets supercharged and can draft much quicker that is astounding and like if I'm an article clerk I'm fine yeah. but that's <laughs> yeah. that's astounding it yeah. is astounding, but I think that like you can't rely on it just yet. Like you're yeah. not not just yet but you can't rely on it and and when when we get there but you know it wasn't too long ago where you couldn't I guess like listen to this podcast, for instance, and then click a button mm. and get and get a transcript of it straight away and have and have accuracy. It was like fifty percent accuracy it was unreadable. Now mm. we're sort of at like I'm not sure, say ninety percent, mm-hmm. um, and that'll keep getting better. Mm. Like and so you know I guess like over time it'll improve. But yeah, at today's date, yeah, you definitely can't rely on you can't like just blanket rely that this is totally accurate. For for me, I say if I was an if I was a legal clerk, clerk right, or as a sort of you know early stage person trying to draft contracts, you basically go to the, other, the last template. Oh, we, we worked on this deal. It's pretty similar. Pull that, pull that one, use that as a template. Let's, right. you know, as a precedent, let's, and then just change these clauses. Yeah. Now you can literally spin it up. Like, lit, I'm not even kidding. Like in a day, like right. we've literally worked with folks that can spin it up, put your precedents in there and then you can just quiz it. Be like, find us a template that's linked to this deal. And I'll just be like, here's a template. Bang. Like it's like your own Google search, like within there, but then also like it starts to think and be like, Hey, what's the actual clause in that contract that, that you can do, uh, that we should, we should, you know, that was, I remember from that deal. At this point, uh, the ability to, you know, have something bespoke for your own business is, is, is it easy to do or is it a little tricky? It's easier Shit. than you think, but really? it's, it is, it's easier than you think, but like it, it's, it's not as simple as buying the office suite and yeah, now I have spreadsheets. Like, this, this is what I mean. So like when we talk about like infrastructure of businesses or something, it's like, they're going to be businesses that pop up that enable this type of thing to start. So mm-hmm. a business, for instance, can train it themselves, you know, on their own data and things like that. But there's a whole bunch of things about data protection, privacy, like making sure, because at the end of the day, like most, a lot of businesses. Even law firms, for instance, their precedents, that's their IP, right? Yeah, right. And so 
there's a lot of questioning, like we don't want to put our information or like our spreadsheets into, say, ChatGPT because mm. you're you're feeding the you're feeding the machine, mm. and they now have your data and they're training, and then everyone else is getting the 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 benefit of it. Yeah. So that so you want to have a closed garden of your own your own information that becomes mm-hmm. then you can, but you want your team, like your staff and your team, to be able to use it. There's not there's not yet like easy to use tooling to do this the things you want to do across all the different things. So like mm. procurement and and making sure that there's data protections. So there's no leakage of this sort of stuff, and yeah. but I think that 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 is the next stage. Yeah. Like the, those those tool that tooling is really we're discussing. Like we've seen a lot of companies doing this stuff um, that are going to enable that. And that once enablement happens, but then change what doesn't happen overnight, especially in like the enterprise or corporate world, like yeah. it takes a long time to get that sort of decision making through. So I think that the the change management is probably less about the technology, more about those enabling factors to like get that to an agreement that say like a board or something mm. says. We think we should adopt this across our organization. Yeah. Just a moment away from Stu to say that, yeah, if you have a moment right now, I'm going to play some ads. And if you go into the show notes of this podcast, there'll be a link there. If you click on that link for the Logies, you can vote. And if you do vote, thank you very much. If you have voted, thank you very much. If you did vote, send me a screenshot. Send us your email at gmail.com. And if this episode does help you or any of the episodes you've listened to have helped you, please do share it with someone. That'd be really helpful. That's a massive way to get word out about the the podcast. Let other people know. That really, really helps us in in a huge and very, very significant financial way. So please, that really helps us out here. Back in a moment with Stu Glenn. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. You've got little you got little ones, I've got little ones. Yeah. What do you think education will look like? Like I'm talking like in three, four, five years when these kids yeah, are yeah. in primary school. What's education look like? So we had a we had a deal that we looked at before ChatGBT launched where these two young university students had spun up a model that was helping people write their essays, like effectively. And there was strong opinion on one side that it was cheating, there was a strong opinion on the other side that like, are we digging our head in the sand because like this is gonna it's happening. And so, like, are we going to have to build a world where we teach our kids and have to still train them, but it'll enable them to use these tools? Because, like, you know, say with social media, you can say don't go on social media, but, like, is your kid not going to go on social media or are you going to train them to, to um, not train them, but you're, you're going to sort of, you know, try and help them make sure they can deal with what social media is mm. in, a, in a healthy fashion. Um, and it's super challenging already, right? We're seeing, the, we're seeing the impacts of it. And so the same kind of concept, I believe, happened with, with, like, this sort of thing is, like, we're going to have to, I don't say like embrace it with with you know wide open arms. I believe you have to like you have to control it, um, but it's going to be part of like the future a little bit. I'm going to say so. But how yeah. do you teach train like how you know, from an education perspective? Like 
I was talking to a student last night, actually, like he was sort of 19 year old. And I, and I said, do, do you use it? And he said, um, I haven't used it for my assignments yet. But my friends have. And I was like, okay, so like, why don't you use it? He's like, well, I'm, I only don't use it because I'm scared that I'm going to get caught. <laughs> and it's like he said, before you, before you press submit, it tells you like, we think this is like copyrighted or like we think this has been generated by AI. If you submit it, like we're going to, we know that you should, like we know what it is. There's great tools that are saying like, this is AI generated content. So you should probably go and like do the work. Wow. So, so do you embrace it or do you not? Like it's a challenge, you know, the never ending question. And I Man, don't know like how I, you solve for that. Like, I, I use a calculator. Yeah. I, I'm terrible at maths. Yeah. I, uh, unless it's Scrabble scores. You know, <laughs> yeah. I, I use spreadsheets. Anyone that doesn't use a spreadsheet, yeah. like if you before, spread, have a look at the world before spreadsheets. There was rooms of people with mechanical calculators. That's right. And when one person changed something on one desk, they were all in this huge big room of desks. They would, it would take, hang on, we'll have an answer for you by lunchtime. You know, you gotta I, do it. Yeah, I yeah. can change numbers in a spreadsheet, and you know that's that the computer's shit, done. That stuff, like, it, it's such a super powerful version of that. You yeah. know, my like the the dream would be, man. Like, if we look at the positive use cases rather than the scary shit. Totally. Um, school missed me. I went to a it was a great school, and it worked really great for some people, but it didn't work for me. Uh, since found out why, uh, <laughs> various diagnoses <laughs> later. Yet there's the opportunity to be like. Okay, here's some little diagnostic tests that, you know, little mm. little Billy and, you know, little, yeah. little Sabine, they both do at the start of the year to figure out how their brains work. Here's how you, where you got to get to to pass mm. the course at the end of the year. Okay, little Billy, that's what you're doing every week. Sabine, this is what you're doing every week. At mm. the end of the year, you'll both be able to prove you know it. Yeah. But you'll learn it in completely kind of different, different ways. Different pathway. Yeah. So- like I, I think it's going to be super positive for things like healthcare, for instance. Oh man, yeah. Like we're talking to a company now that's doing like using AI for drug discovery. So it's like, oh. how can you? Because like all the so drugs, when they get even the ones they get approved, still have a bunch of side effects. Like why do we? Why yeah. does it get to that point where they? Because they've done they've only done tests on you know x amount of like trials like people. So like and and then they, they've they've taken a view that that's like indicative of of everybody. In mm. the, you know, and then they basically it passes through. But that's because they've never been able to simulate and understand like is that. You know how this is going to play out. So yeah. the same kind of concepts in space. Like we're looking at a satellite company that does simulations of like what what you know what happens in space if this happens or this changes or whatever. And these sort of things can compute like much faster and like than, than any human could ever do. So then, you know, healthcare picking up cancer from scans like with machine vision, like they're going to be they already are much more efficient yeah. at the human eye than the human eye. But yeah. the the challenge is like getting those those use cases actually into the into the world. So like we love to back companies that are doing stuff like that, which yeah. is like how do you get behind those those people that are actually going to have positive impact? We we asked about the you know the traits you look for in founders. Do you yeah. do you look for a, you know an, an ethical you know upside? <laughs> you know, unfortunately, it shows, and you see it every time that ultimately when people get. A huge amount of power mm. in whatever direction no. happens in religion, happens in churches when they start taking oh, yeah, private I, jets everywhere. You I, know? Grew, I grew up in Zimbabwe with Rob Mugabe and Mate, like this is bro. you know this is power, like the elite and sort of corruption and and everything yeah. that came with it. So so even the most ethical people, even the most ethical people, like it's real real hard to, when you get at that level to yeah, yeah. to not do stuff that's not good. So when you're seeing founders, like, do you do you look for people who are like, yeah, man, nah, nah, I wouldn't trust him. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. We won't. We will not invest in someone if you get that feeling. Yeah. Um, and it happens from time to time. But I'd say like most people are generally honest and have have the right level of sort of integrity and intention. Yeah. So are they telling you the truth? Like, yeah. you don't have much to rely on. Like, in the early days of the companies, right? Like, they don't they don't have like 
audited accounts. They don't have, you know, they'll have a very early stage working product. Like they might have a couple of customers. Like sometimes they didn't pilots. They don't even have like full contracts. And so, you know, a lot of it comes back to that team. And do you think that like they, they're going to be able to galvanize it like, and start building this and grow it and uh, do all the, do yeah, all the stuff. Yeah, but then I think about, you know, old mate, she just started her, um, the lady that started the blood testing thing, the Theranos yeah, ter- thing. Like she, she started Elizabeth her jail Holmes, sentence yeah. today. 11 years or something. 150, yeah. like, so I should expect, like, unbelievable. People just want to be in on it. That's the other thing. Like, yeah. investors, they want to be in on it. They want, they will ignore everything. I mean, Bernie Bernie Madoff made bits like people, <laughs> yeah, he did a lot and of the it. people that paid him the money. There's Adani like in they, they India. Just, like there's been a lot. Like right. Um, oh my god, BitConnect. Like yeah. everyone just wanted to do. What was that? Our last one. The one in the furry head guy in the FTX. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like. That's other people's money. Other people, that's not his money. Yeah. That's other people who probably were just so blinded by the idea of, it's the next thing, I have yeah. to put, put the house on it, pushing the chips in and not you, listening to their gut at all. 100%. As an investor, you have to check yourself pretty often on this type of thing. Yeah. And you can, and it can happen to you. Like, I mean, uh, say FTX, for instance, like they were the, sec- the second biggest exchange in the world. And they, but they didn't have like board infrastructure, right? So they were literally sending, like, basically pulling out money into like another investment vehicle, investing it. But that that was like actual like users sort of assets mm. and, and and capital. But they didn't have the right governance and structure in place. And especially in times of of hype, and this sort of probably will happen again in, in AI. There will be like you know businesses that yeah like lack ethics, I guess you'd say. Mm. Uh, so what would you say to people who? You know, want to want to throw their throw their super fund at, at something in AI because well, they want that, they want to get that. You know, nineteen ninety two Google share. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, they want to buy Bitcoin at two cents. Yeah, exactly. Look, I mean, we're investing in the space, but like with enough level of caution, uh, not every company is going to be a winner. So. Don't put all your eggs in one basket because there's definitely not going to be a good outcome. Not financial advice. Not financial advice. <laughs> but definitely build a portfolio is all I'd say. But they're expensive. Like literally when you talk to these companies now, like these, especially in AI, like if it's got AI painted on it, like double the price or triple the price. Wow. So just because they like, the, it's a hot category. And so, you know, we literally talked to some of the best investors in the world in the last few weeks and they're all... They're guns blazing on it, like mostly. And some are sitting back saying, we'll wait and see how it goes. And tech doesn't get adopted. It's like, doesn't get adopted straight away. It, you know, it's like slow, slow, and then fast. Yeah. Um, and that's already happened with AI. People have been talking about AI for a while, but it hasn't really, there hasn't been the aha moment until people actually understand what's happened more recently because they've got more tangible tooling that's like, you know, there's a bunch of just different ones that sort of you've used yourself and you're like, oh my goodness, like this is pretty yeah. crazy, right? And don't pay, for, by the way, don't pay for it. Yeah. And you because that's the thing, like you'll go, you'll open up your app store and it'll have like a billion things that say GPT. Yeah. You can literally just go to OpenAI and open an account and, and it'll be faster it. and better quality than anything on an app. Yeah. But because the that people don't know about that barrier to entry, I didn't know about it. And I was like, fuck, I just paid 90 bucks for something that I'm getting for free, faster, better, <laughs> yeah. directly from the source, you yeah. know? And it's a, that's a drag, but I got totally, I got scammed by that. Totally. But I think there's like, you know, Jasper, for instance, which is a company that does like sales copy, right? So it's like, well, marketing content, you can just type mm-hmm. it in and be like, hey, help me write some, some copyright about, you know, um, this advert or this business. Uh, so they went, I believe they went from like zero to like a hundred, 100 million in revenue over the course of a few years, like, um, which is huge in the software space. Like, that's incredibly fast. 
ChatGPT was the fastest company in history to get to 100 million users. It was like in a couple of months from memory. I can't remember. It's basically right. like way faster than any other product in history. Wow. And so adoption is like crazy, but then also is it going to be sticky? Really hard to know. Yeah. Is it going to stay there? As you said, don't pay for it. Like you just said it yourself where it's like I pay for a tool and it got usurped by another tool. Yeah. It's probably going to keep happening. Like, so where does the value lie? When the space moves challenge? is quick, like I can't yeah. think of any other tech in... It hasn't happened before. In uh, in my opinion, like it hasn't no. happened where the gold rush is that fast. No, like, like I can only imagine, you know, uh, years ago on this podcast I had, um, she's now the Saudi ambassador to the US. Oh, well. Uh, Princess um, Rima came on the show. Uh, I, I knew her from, I went to school with her in Amsterdam. And she said, my, my father fought, no, my grandfather fought on horseback. Yeah. Holding a sword, my father fought in an F eighteen. Yeah, so very, think, yeah, think about <laughs> that. Think about that amount of technological penetration into my community. Like, think about like, like there's some, yeah, yeah. you know. And she was kind of she had a far better way of saying it, but it was along the lines of like, what our cultures had to deal with in mm. fifty years from going from nomadic Bedouin horse to I'm literally having laser guided you know weapons at my disposal. Yeah, like whoa, like totally. Like that's that's kind of how I, I feel that's at that pace, like going from like somewhere like, I don't know, Doha or something, which was like literally tense and now skyscrapers and healthcare. For yeah, yeah. Like that was 50 years ago. That, there was yeah. nothing there. And now it's everything at once. This yeah. culture shock, this future shock that we may feel mm. is, is real. Like it can be amazing. You know, suddenly everyone's got way more free time and cheaper lawyers, but we have to be mindful that things are going to be very different quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. But I also think that there's all the sayings of like, say, you know, horses before cars and mm -hmm. and so sort of saying like you know you push out don't want to adopt it and all of a sudden it just becomes it becomes ubiquitous and you know that's yeah. it's just that's the way things are going and then that becomes the future and it sort of happens and like even you sort of talked about excel like you know, people were using calculators and yeah and then all of a sudden like microsoft launches excel and you're like well this has changed the game right and then for our, for our ability to kind of like i don't know do any anything financial calculations forecasts and stuff like that rather than on a you know writing it out etc um, and so I think that like there's often step changes in technology, but it just feels like this is probably at a faster, more impactful than we've seen for a long time on, on other sort of waves. So it's, it's hard to understand what the new, what the normal will look like in like in ten years around this. Yeah, which is like you can crystal ball it, but you know your hope is that you can you know find disease quicker. You can have preventative measures. You, your hope that it's like you can enable it to you know live live better and like you know achieve more work and stuff like that but at the same time you also hope that doesn't sort of go in the other direction where there's like everyone's worried about ethics and these things thinking for themselves and well like, to like the the you know to talk about what we you know said before like the the analog of nuclear proliferation the uh, the idea of you know how much energy is available through splitting an atom like how much how many workhouses are available and the data is clear uh, mm. It's way safer than coal, you know, yeah. itself, like yeah. nuclear. It's incredible what it could do for a, for a society with that amount of, like, really abundant energy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yet it can also be weaponized and destroy us all. Exactly. So, <laughs> so you just hope we, you know. You've got to put the guardrails in place. Yeah. Like, I think that's obviously clear. And I think that. What do they look like for you? I Honestly, it's moving so fast, it's hard to say. Like, what is the. I mean, so we talked to a guy from OpenAI like last week, um, and he was sort of talking about they call it alignment, which mm -hmm. is like is is the is the model that they've been building 
is it is it nudging in the right direction from a positive perspective and not sort of but they also don't know how to control it yet if you know what i mean like it's the first time these things have been done so mm. listening to a podcast last last week um was what was one a professor in the space he'd been doing it for sort of 30 years um and and he basically said like you, you need to put a hold on on new training of models until we understand just how to control it i'm not saying stop doing this i think it's still good like i don't see it as a bad thing i, I just see it as a if we just keep going like just guns blazing like we might not be able to control it and put it back you know like once it gets to a certain mm. point of size so they said gpt4 should be the last like you know the we should draw a line there and just say like let's stop training new models until we kind of figure out and make sure we're comfortable with like the the roadmap ahead for how we like make sure this is on, on the right track and then we can start again and sort of wade through it rather than there's a but there's commercial pressures right there's like these people mm. have raised i don't know 10 billion dollars or whatever and it's like no we're you know this is this is going to be part of the future and and these big players are going to make it happen so then you don't lose ground versus your competitors and things like that so how do you get everyone in alignment to to kind of kind of make sure that there's the right level of sort of you know governance and, con and just control around this stuff if i look at it like if i try to think about it like someone thing something like google you know something like Google or Facebook, for example, they're two, yeah. two examples, right? The utility that they offer mm. for free yeah. is so world-changing. Totally. I'm prepared to be with the fact that they know where I am yeah. and what I say to everyone like, because- People give up their privacy for because of blink. the convenience, right? Very, you get so convenience over privacy in, would, the, in that world. Like if- like, what is the level of utility that I'm hmm. going to get out of, yeah, out of AI thing. that makes me go like, yeah, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> that they, there's no more parliament. I'm fine. That it's just being, <laughs> you know, taking humans completely out of the equation. There's no corruption because it doesn't exist. Yeah, it's run by robots. But, but look, I don't work. <laughs> I just spend all day learning really interesting things and having great fun, you know? Yeah. Well, Making I mean, money out of the thin air or whatever I do. I mean, like one of the bear cases is that it's going to be universal basic income and it's mm. like going to be like, you know, the, the, your jobs are going to be, look very different. I mean, this is in a world where it's sort of, yeah, like AI is kind of prevalent and then, yeah, you can do a huge amount more with less. Yeah. And so it's like you might, so I don't know, like, I don't know if it'll get to that. I don't believe it will. Like in the, in, I, I, I believe that it'll impact industries, which for sure there's going to be a huge amount of disruption, but I also don't know that like, um, I don't know. Humans have managed to control these things, you know, changes in, in over over the course of the of over time. So Yuval Noah Harari is probably real close to another book. He's like, God damn it! He's like, <laughs> <laughs> that or he's like, It's okay. I've already have this one written. It's fine. <laughs> it's okay. I'm 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 step ahead of you. All. Yeah. Come on. Look, I I could talk to you for a long time about this kind of stuff, but it's or for me, it's all about education. Like, yeah. don't don't be surprised by this. Yes. You know, ignorance about this kind of stuff is not a great idea. Yeah. Like, be be proactive in figuring out and keeping an eye on where this tech's going because it will it'll impact you it'll impact the way you work it'll impact the way your kids learn at school yeah it, like it really will totally agree um so i mean like my job is to stay on top of this so we do you know we got to work every day trying to understand what you know where technology is going and all of this so uh, like i'm sort of at the front of, of it and, and and have the privilege of of honest of sort of getting you know seeing all of this firsthand but Everyone, like I'd say, ninety percent of the people that more and more are doing it for the right reasons and not mm. not bad actors, if you know what I mean. But I think when you're when you're doing it, just if you're just in you know, like in your everyday sort of career, I do think that it's going to have impacts to you mm. over time. 
Uh, but it also makes sense for you, like from a commercial perspective, to explore it because I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity for you to help like your own businesses yeah. be better and sort of better serve your customers and stuff. So I, I don't see it as a, I think totally it's worth spending the time to sort of to get across it yeah. and trial it. Like you haven't trialed it, you should definitely spend some time just exploring it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even for fun stuff, right? Yeah. You know, you're going on a holiday, go and say like, hey, help us set up an agenda. Like, what are the coolest things to see on this? You know, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to California. Tell me what, you know, if you, if you had seven days, what would you do? And keep and keep you in mind, so keep in mind travel times and I wouldn't want to drive for more than two hours at a time because yeah. I've got little kids. Yeah. Go. And literally. <laughs> and you just plan it and plans it out for you and it's like, that's awesome. Like, you know, anyway, that's pretty, think, that's pretty cool. Uh, you know, that, I like that. And then people who work at flight centers are like, fucking shush. Yeah, don't do it. Shush. Don't do it. I can do that. Yeah. Oh, that's my job, you yeah, bastard. That's true. <laughs> but, it, but, but this is the thing, and this is why I think it's really important that whatever job you do, my job is already being changed by this. Uh, whatever I mean, you job could, you, you could use AI to help cut, cut, cut this and make sure that all my ums and ahs are like removed, etc. So. Uh, the app is called Descript, Descript and that's yeah, what good. it does. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the thing is, at this point, and we uh, that's the one I, I, I used to make my own voice. The thing is, uh, it's going to get better, but it's still not quite great. Hmm. where it cuts the ums and ahs out, it doesn't take into account your vocal cadence or your speech or yeah. how long you may be paused for effect or to That's show right. that, oh, it took him a couple of seconds to think about that. He really thought about that. It'll cut that completely out. Yeah. Therefore, making the next thing you say sound like, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, well, it's not really, like there's <laughs> the nuance of communication is lost hmm. in that kind of automated um ah part. Uh, but yes, it's on the way. Mm -hmm. um, it's freaking fascinating. It's fascinating stuff. And I, I implore you to just exactly as you said, just play with it, you know, just kind of explore it and, and know what it's going to mean for you and your kids. And um, yeah, keep an eye on it, dude. Cause you don't want to turn around one day and go like, like I'm the kind of guy, mate, who I read some news articles and I got online and then two days later we had 50 rat tests and we had a hundred masks at our house. Yeah. Six weeks after that, people were like, there's no fucking rat test and no fucking mask. I'm like, mate, <laughs> yeah. did you, like, it was in the news. Like, didn't you see that that day? Yeah. Like, it's just, this is do, the do part where I'm telling yeah. you, get on it now. Don't be surprised by this. Like, yeah. um, as, as, you know, I heard today this really great idea about um, crisis comms. Okay. So when, something terrible happens in a company or, yeah. you know, a sports team or, or something like yeah. that. In the crisis is not the time to try to get all your research and get all your numbers and get all your facts mm. because you don't have time to then get those facts so you can make a better decision. Yeah. Make sure you stay prepared. Get all that research done. Get all that stuff. Know everything you need to know so that if a crisis occurs, you have everything totally. at, at your service. You don't need to – you don't want to be yeah, – yeah figuring out what's the law around that yeah it's like in the <laughs> in the thick of battle no not at all um thanks man thanks for making the time to oh, come it's awesome thanks for having us i really appreciate it man. Yeah. thank you that was Stu glenn yeah interesting right i'd never i didn't know anything about that stuff and it's so fascinating to to hear it and i'm really grateful that i was able to have that conversation because you know, it's something my folks never really knew about, and I certainly had no idea. I, I, I don't know startup founders. I don't go to a technology-focused business university. I don't know any people like that. So to understand ways to get access to those kind of investment opportunities, and I guess, you know, even if you don't have cash to spare, uh, I sure don't right now, but if you don't have cash to spare, just kind of knowing how the different systems of life work, 
I think that's really fascinating and, and fascinating to, to know that there's always a way in. There's always a way in. It's interesting. So thanks, Stu. Thanks for coming around. Thanks to everyone that helped me make the show today. Andy Marr on audio and video post-production, Abby Benno, Bree Steele, Mike Mills on the music, and Rachel Barrett. Thanks heaps to all of you for making help me make the show today. I'll be back here on Wednesday. If you can uh, spare a, a moment to vote for the Logies, it doesn't take long. You've got to click through the whole thing, but yeah, there's a drop-down menu that went at the end. If you click for gold, there it is. Doing something like that would really help this podcast immeasurably and really help me get these kind of conversations out to a much wider audience. Because even though I've been doing this for 10 years, I still meet people literally every day that have no idea that I even do this. So you, by listening, you are on the super inner, inner, inner circles. You really are. Because nobody else really knows that I do this. And they're always surprised when they hear it. So if you'd like to help me surprise a lot more people, throw a logie vote my way. And if you can't bring yourself to do that, that's okay. Just share the episode with someone. All right, I'll be back here on Wednesday. See you then.